Hello and welcome to Wanna Grow On, a show where we dig into questions about agriculture and try to understand how food production impacts us and our world. My name is Hallie Casey and I studied and currently work in agriculture. And I'm Chris Casey, Hallie's dad. Each episode we pick an area of agriculture or food production that confuses a lot of people and try to get Hallie to answer questions about it. This week we are focusing on the Green New Deal. Okay, so this is like not even a thing. I mean, I guess it's a thing. Is it a thing? It's not really a thing. I mean, it's proposed proposed legislation. Is that what it is? I don't know. Yes. Yes. So, okay. okay. So the Green New Deal is not even really legislation. It is something that was created and originally proposed by Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who is a representative in the U.S. legislature. Um, and it's a it's what's called a non-binding resolution. So it's not really policy. It's just an idea. It's it's like a pitch. It's a kind of a platform that this representative Ocasio-Cortez is kind of asking the Congress to sign off on like this general concept. But it's it's very vague. There's not much specific language in it. It's more kind of more generally saying here is an idea about how to address climate change and maybe we could create policy around this, but it is a non-binding resolution. So it's not policy. It is, it's not a policy idea, if that makes sense. Interesting. So now I almost kind of wonder why, why people are talking about it or if why they're talking about this, why only doing it as a non-binding resolution. Uh, I mean, I guess it's just sort of a thing where it's, everyone says, okay, this is an idea. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's an idea and it's kind of like when the we as a country first started talking about like single payer healthcare. There was no actual policy with like numbers and an implementation plan and goals and you know things like this that would have created a law, but it's more like an idea. And that's what the green new deal is is it's this concept of creating jobs and addressing climate change. So it's it's similar to the new deal. I don't know if you know much about the New Deal, but it was passed by FDR after the Depression. So it created a lot of federal jobs and folks went out and did things like built buildings and built dams. And it was focused a lot around infrastructure. So this is basically using that model of creating good paying federal jobs, but specifically creating infrastructure for climate change. Interesting. And then there's also some other stuff in there, like ideas around agriculture, which is what we're going to talk about today. Okay, and and what are those ideas? Yeah, so we're not going to talk about the whole Green New Deal. It's not super long, but it would take us a while to dig into all of it. So we are just going to talk about one section. Well, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's like sub-subsection G or something like that. You can find this on congress.gov. And it's basically where they get into agriculture and how agriculture is going to tie in with climate change and their ideas around addressing that. Okay. So but before we get into the actual meat of the Green New Deal, let's kind of talk about how agriculture is actually contributing to climate change. So we can kind of go from there. Okay. So 10% of greenhouse gas emissions are due to agriculture in the U.S. That sounds like a non-trivial number. Definitely, yeah. I mean, it's it's a good chunk. It's a good chunk. It's not the majority, but it's it's yeah, it's a contribution of the different agricultural activities. The number one is crop and pasture, so large scale plant growing, and then 
spot number two is the digestion of livestock, primarily cow farts. It always comes back to farting. <laughs> so these, these are two really huge parts of agriculture, and they contribute a good amount of greenhouse gases. Not good greenhouse gases either, especially the, the second half contributes a lot of methane, which is particularly more potent when warming up the atmosphere. Good old CH4. So that 10% number is just in the U.S. And historically, there have been some different numbers floating around about like the global contribution of agriculture. There has been a new analysis that came out recently um, that's out of Oxford. And it basically said that while meat and dairy is a smaller part of agriculture as a whole, it is responsible for 60% of the greenhouse gas emissions of agriculture globally. Basically, what I'm trying to say here is that, you know, agriculture is contributing a good amount, both on the plant side and on the animal side, to climate change and emitting these greenhouse gases. So when looking at climate policies more generally, it's very common to include agriculture in the conversation. It's quite important to, in my opinion, and it's included in most climate policy. So I kind of want to dig into what is the pitch from Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez in terms of dealing with agriculture. All right. Does she want to regulate cow farts? Nope. That is not on the list. <laughs> so in the actual language of the deal, it's actually a very small amount that she actually talks about agriculture. Okay. It's, it's like a paragraph. It's very, very short. It's like less than 250 words, I think. So this is the right here. I don't know if you can see this in the doc, but this is the first part of it. Will you read that for me? Oh, like this uh, one, two, three thing? No, right about that. Working collaboratively with farmers and ranchers in the United States to remove pollution and greenhouse gas emissions from the agricultural sector as much as is technologically feasible, including... Yeah. So that's the very first part of it. Okay. And that all makes sense. It sounds good. I like this part about as much as technologically feasible. Right. It's not very specific. It's not giving a number on like how many of the greenhouse gas emissions you want to remove to the from the agricultural sector. So it's not really setting up a concrete goal, but it is kind of caging it in a way that it's not going to I mean, I'm I'm assuming you know this is not very specific language, but I'm assuming that it's not restricting the industry to a point where it wouldn't be economically or technologically feasible to take more greenhouse gas emissions out. If that makes sense, like there is only so much you can do when growing food because it is extractive. Okay. In other words, uh, wait, no. In other words, what? What does that mean? Growing food is extractive. I don't actually know if extractive is a word. It's a, oh, basically <laughs> when, when you're growing food on a large scale, you are taking resources out of the earth and you're utilizing the planet. And so it's, it's very hard to have a net positive carbon when you're, when you're doing agricultural processes because you're, you're taking things out, if that makes sense. No, I think you kind of lost me when you said net positive carbon. Basically, when you're growing food of any kind, you are taking things out of the earth. You're utilizing the soil to extract nutrients and food from the ground. Okay. So far, so good. Yeah. So when you're growing, or I mean, this, this can also apply to animal production as well. 
It's difficult to have a net positive carbon impact, meaning that you leave more carbon in the soil than you take out of it. I see. Just just because of the the nature of the economics you're dealing with, that carbon that you want to put back in the soil is not as economically. What's the word? It doesn't have as much economic value as some of the other factors you're going to be dealing with. So there are trade-offs when. You're looking at management practices, and oftentimes management practices that take more carbon out are more economically feasible than management practices that would have a net positive carbon impact. So that would leave more carbon in the soil. That makes sense because you're getting carbon out of the earth and turning it into food or fuel or whatever, and and selling it. Whereas yes. putting carbon back in in the earth doesn't get you anything. Yes, except yeah, maybe、there's... a healthier planet to live on. Yes, exactly, and and there has like been some policy pitches to incentivize putting carbon back into the earth for farmers, like giving rebates or something like that, if they have practices that are more carbon positive. But it's more a policy discussion、um, and a technology discussion than an economics discussion. Like at this point, it's very hard to make that economically viable. There are some farmers that do it, but it is very dependent on the crop you're growing, where you're growing it. A lot of other factors than just the the management practices themselves. They cannot inherently be economically viable in、okay. the short or long term. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that、okay. that does make a lot of sense. And you know, nobody wants to put carbon back in the ground because nobody wants to pay for it. And technologically, it's a hard thing to do. Yeah, I mean, you have some farmers that want to do it, but they just might not be able to. Like they, at the end of the day, they have to make money; otherwise, they、right. will not be farming. Again, so if we want them to keep farming, we have to look for policy or technological solutions to incentivize them to put carbon back into the ground. That makes sense. And technologically, well, hopefully there are more better solutions soon. I hear、uh, some scientists found a way to turn atmospheric carbon back into coal, which could be interesting. So hopefully that turns out to be a thing. But yeah, and there's a lot of different ways that people are are researching this and looking at solutions. But the fact that she kind of Caged the this progress with that technological feasibility, right? To me, kind of speaks to her understanding that it's not necessary. It, it's it's not necessarily that the industry is just not being cl- like climate friendly because they just don't want to. It's it's like not technologically possible for a lot of small farmers or big farmers. Like it's just not possible for a lot of folks. Well, speaking of things that are. Technologically possible. I think it's technologically possible to go into a break right now. Okay, let's go. <laughs> hey dad, hi, hey dad. Well, guess what? What? I want to thank Lindsay. Thank you, Lindsay. Thanks, Lindsay. Lindsay is our Starfruit patron. She is our number one star. Thank you so much for supporting us. You know, I noticed in one episode you said "holla" and I said "hello." I know. <laughs> That was like so. That's like the ultimate lame dad moment, right、yeah. there. <laughs> so,、uh, but like Lindsay, you can、uh, support us on Patreon. We have lots、yes. of great levels, and for two dollars, you could hear funny, hilarious outtakes. For five dollars, you could find out about our plant of the month. Yeah, every month, Dad writes a very lovely little postcard paragraph. And he sources a recipe it's, it's with a certain three plant.、Paragraphs. So this last month, it、it's、was three strawberries. It was strawberries, and we had a recipe for a、uh, a lovely like a savory compote. 
with strawberries that you could put on goat cheese and, and crackers, and it's delicious. Oh, it sounds so good. Yeah. So for $5 a month, you can get a digital form of this. For $10 a month, you can get a beautifully designed postcard actually sent to you in the real mail. We will mail it to you. And you would also get the satisfaction of knowing that you're helping us. You're you know, really participating in our community and you're helping us with just the running cost of running this this podcast like there are costs associated with website hosting and buying mics that was a startup cost that we still haven't been able to recoup so if you have any money available we have one dollar tiers we have two dollar five dollar ten dollar like if you have any money at the end of the month left in your budget and you're interested in supporting us then that is the place to look thank you so much thank you everyone for listening and let's get back to the episode back to the episode Okay, Dad, you got a nature fact? I do. I have a nature (gasps) fact. Okay, so this week uh, we're talking about the Green New Deal. Yes. As you mentioned earlier in the episode, the New Deal was a program proposed by Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Franklin Delano Roosevelt also wrote a letter called the Green Light Letter. Okay. So you see how I worked New Deal and Green in there together? I do. And the Green Light Letter, apparently during World War II, there was some talk of baseball uh, halting yes for the duration of the war i figure you know you studied baseball i figure you might have known you might known about this okay i want to clarify <laughs> i did not study baseball you i took studied one class baseball. about the history <laughs> of know. baseball you make it sound like I, I was like a baseball major like you school. knew I, so much about baseball you may as well have been i took a class in undergrad that was called the history of america through baseball i learned a lot about baseball And apparently FDR wrote a letter saying, I think it would be okay if baseball continued. Oh, really? Yeah. And it's reading the letter. I think if it were the kind of thing written by a president today, people would make fun of it. It's funny because it talks about it's a recreation that doesn't last over two hours, two and a half hours, which now I think people would scoff at because baseball games are like three to four hours yeah nowadays but he also he also and this is the part that i take a little issue with it's it's kind of like hey fdr watch it with this ageism stuff like as to the players themselves i know you agree with me that the individual players who are active military or naval age should go without question into the services Mm -hmm. even if the actual quality to the teams is lowered by the greater use of older players (laughs) (laughs) This will not dampen the popularity of the sport. Like, old guys can't play baseball, too. I mean, come (laughs) on. I mean, I don't think you'd be able to to keep up with Joe DiMaggio. No offense, Dad. Probably not. But Joe DiMaggio is dead. So we'll never find out, will we? (laughs) Did you? I mean, a lot of baseball teams did stop playing baseball and oh, that's why we that. had the the women's league that's when the women's league kind of oh popped up. that makes sense that makes sense yeah 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 of course after the war all the women went back to you know the kitchen they were no longer allowed to play baseball exactly. but but when all of the young white men were in the war then yeah women kind of started their own league there's a very good movie about it that also has a character who is based on a cousin of mine that's true that is true so we um, get their own. There's no crying in baseball. All right. So back from the green light letter to the New Deal to the Green New Deal. Yes. Okay. There's three kind of subsections in this clause. So we said like including. So that she goes on to kind of enumerate some ways that she wants to work collaboratively with farmers and ranchers in the United States to remove pollution and greenhouse gas emissions from the agriculture sector. The first one is by supporting family farming. Now, 
Now, now, now, now, Dad. What? Tell tell me what your impression of this of this subclause is of this little note is. I want to hear your thoughts. That sounds kind of nice, I guess. I don't know that great big huge farms are always necessarily a bad thing. Except I've I've heard you use the word monoculture, and monocultures are bad. Except I I don't know.、Um, family farms are one of those things that sound nice, and there are some really nice people selling stuff at the local farmers markets. <laughs> okay, what? What am I doing wrong? I don't know. No, you're good. This is helpful. Okay. So, approximately ninety-seven percent of all of the farms in the entire United States are family farmed. Eighty-seven percent、really? of the agricultural value in the U.S. is produced on family farms. No,、yes. I had no idea. <laughs> Big farms are owned by families. So, so wait, this is like a nothing statement. What this, is this? Means nothing. What is Archer Daniels Midland? I thought they owned like all the farms. I don't know. So there are some farms that are owned by owned by corporations, and okay? Not, like just family LLCs, but most of them are not. Most of them are just owned by family LLCs. Like ninety seven percent of the farms in the U.S. are family farms. So I guess I don't have a problem with supporting ninety seven percent of farms in the U.S., but I don't know how that's a very specific policy goal. Basically, she's saying she's going to support farms. Exactly, supporting farms, which I don't know if that doesn't sound very specific to me. I don't understand how it really relates to climate change. It's a very vague language, and America loves the idea of family farms. It's true because so much of the history of the U.S. is tied up with this move from rural agrarian to urban life, and there's kind of like this romanticization. This. Idealistic image of a、yes. family moving to the country and starting a farm and making exactly yeah, yeah a life for yeah. themselves.、And、like yes, yeah, you've got all of these iconic American classic stories that have to do with farms. You have things like The Wizard of Oz, where it's like this beautiful image of you know Dorothy running home、right. after she goes to Oz, where she runs back to her family, and you have a lot of different stories like that. I mean, she ran home, but there was also a tornado. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm not here to support Kansas. I'm just here saying whoa, whoa, Americans whoa, whoa. love family farms. Whoa, whoa, listener, if you live in Kansas, we love you. Okay, yes, we love you. <laughs> I'm not going to comment on the the quality of Kansas as a state, but we love you. Yeah, no, I mean the. the U.S. just loves the concept of family farms. They love that terminology. It doesn't mean anything. Fair enough. Okay, so the second one. There's three here, so that's number one. Number two is by investing in sustainable farming and land use principles that increase soil health. Okay, well that sounds good. Does it? I mean, oh、Does、come、it? on, sustainability, increasing soil health. So I'm all about increasing soil health. All right. This is like the one section. That I can really get behind. That can be a policy goal. Like you can, you can look at this. I'm sorry. It sounds like you're getting behind half of a section. Yes. Yeah. So half of this point two, I can definitely get. It's、behind. not even half. It's three words. <laughs> Increase soil health. Yes, that I love. You can look at increased soil health. You can like create a number. Say we want to increase soil health by this much percent or something like that, and you can create policy around that idea. However. The first part of this says by investing in sustainable farming. Okay. Listen. <laughs> What? What are we doing wrong now? Sustainable farming is nonsense words. What?、It's、nonsense words. It is nonsense words. It has no 
actual meaning. It doesn't actually mean anything to farm sustainably. It doesn't actually mean anything. And this is true, I think, more broadly when you talk about, like, sustainability. Like, what does that mean when you talk about, like, any other sector as well? Talking about, like, oh, yeah, this is sustainable because of X. Not always true. Not always clear why it's sustainable. What about it is sustainable? There is no barometer for this is this much sustainable, therefore we can call it sustainable. So you can have something that's like 5% quote unquote sustainable and it's like, oh yeah, that's sustainable. But why? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I think, I mean, I guess the idea or at least people make the assumption when they, they hear sustainability is that... Well, I don't know. I guess it's just one of those nice sounding words, but surely there's some assumption that uh, you're not, you know, using more resources than the planet can handle. But what does that mean? So there there are movements and actual research around agricultural sustainability. Okay. But I think that we can kind of parse that as a little bit different from sustainable farming. So agricultural sustainability is looking at technological solutions for the whole industry to kind of move towards sustainability. However, if you look at a farm and say this is a sustainable farm, there is not like practices where you can look at this and you can universally say, if you implement these and you are a sustainable farm, oftentimes people equate organic with sustainable. And the thing about organic is there are very clear practices that you have to do in order to be organic. Organic means something. It has a meaning that is very clear cut and enforced by the U.S. government. Sustainable is just kind of this weird, ambiguous word that doesn't really have a concrete meaning. So you can't really say, as like a policy, you can't go out and say, okay, this is what makes this farm sustainable. Therefore, we are going to invest in it, you know? I see. So I have a bit of an issue with that. I think it can be a lot more clear cut by saying like, by investing in farming practices that build soil health, by investing in farm practices that minimize soil disturbance, by investing in farming practices that minimize high greenhouse gas inputs, inputs that are correlated with higher greenhouse gas emissions, things like that that are very concrete where you're looking at something and saying, okay, here is a number, here's a here's a line that you have to come up to in order to qualify as a quote unquote sustainable farm. But that line currently does not exist. So this doesn't mean anything. Wow. That's sort of the first time I really sort of thought more deeply about this whole concept. Yeah, I think as a word, sustainable is not really, you know, useful. It, it doesn't really serve us a purpose other than more generally talking about the movement in a whole industry, a whole sector as a nation towards this idea of climate sustainability. But it's not really implementable. You can't really look at sustainability and just go in and implement that. You can kind of work towards that concept of being able to sustain a sector or an industry or a country or the whole world. But you can't really have something specific you can point to that says, ah, yes, this is a sustainable practice just because the world is a lot more complicated than that. Wow. Set me back here a little bit. I mean, you, you can do stuff to sort of reduce your carbon emissions, uh, reuse stuff that you would throw away otherwise, but... Totally. I'm not against like reducing carbon emissions or, right. you know, work working towards, you know, alleviating climate change more generally. But I just think that this particular half of the clause is not an implementable policy. It's not really showing what what it is she wants to accomplish with the Green New Deal in relation to agriculture. Okay, so how about this third item seems even more nonsensical or not nonsensical, okay. even more meaningless. 
at least to me. So, th- so this is our third and, and final point in the clause. Dad, do you want to read it for us? Sure. By building a more sustainable food system that ensures universal access to healthy food. Okay. So I guess let's start at the beginning by building a more sustainable food system. I mean, is that just as meaningless as the last one we just talked about? Do you know what a food system is, Dad? No, I don't. Is it a farm? It is the the way that your food gets from the farm, wherever it is, to your plate. That whole process, everything in that. And depending on how you are defining this, each different industry or each different crop has its own food system, or maybe each farm to each plate has its own food system. It's kind of unclear what a food system is. It's kind of generally agriculture. And again, we have this word sustainable. So this is kind of just saying more sustainable agriculture, more sustainable getting food to people, like feeding people more sustainably, not particularly implementable from a policy standpoint. And then we have the second half, which says that ensures universal access to healthy food. Which, on the surface, I gotta say, sounds pretty great. Sounds good. Sounds good. However, healthy food is, by definition, food that does not make you sick. Okay. So, we kind of have that in the U.S. Like, we have a very, very small incidence of foodborne illness. Most of the food is healthy. Um, it might not be particularly like, healthful, nutritious, perhaps, but if we're looking at across history, the availability of healthy food is by far the highest it has ever been in all of history. Okay, which is great. Let's look at the at the actual word used because she used the word healthy as opposed yes. to what you just said, which was healthful. Yes, and healthful food is. I guess, pretty readily available as well. Yeah, no, it is. So when we say healthful, it's kind of equivalent to the word nutritious. Right. Food Um, that's good for you. Food that's not super processed or super prepared or whatever. Although in a lot of those cases, you know, even they're perfectly fine and healthful. Yeah. No, you can have food that is processed and is still full of nutrients. I mean, generally, we have wide access to healthy food to healthful food to nutritious food like food is widely available from a historical standpoint starvation is at an all-time low for all of human history which is terrific and kind of brings up the question of what exactly it is to have universal access to food because it's definitely true that we don't have universal access there are people in the world who are starving there are people in the world who are food insecure but from a policy standpoint it's unclear (laughs) how to achieve universal access to healthy food. Because we're very close in the U.S., which is what this policy is for, to perfect on that. Is this where we go back to say, well, it's a non-binding resolution? It is a non-binding resolution. But if you're going to ask elected officials to sign your non-binding resolution and say these are good ideas, I think that you should have slightly more concrete ideas The general emotion behind ensuring universal access to healthy food is good. However, we are statistically quite close to that, and this is not a policy solution to address that. And when you talk about in the U.S., 
people who are who do not have universal access to healthy food. We talk a lot about food deserts. We talk a lot about people who are food insecure. And there are currently government policies to address those. So it's unclear if her hope is to augment those policies, create new policies. It's kind of unclear which problems she wants to address with this particular clause of building a more sustainable food system that ensures universal access to healthy food. We can kind of infer that she's talking about people who are food insecure, but it's not super clear what it is she wants to do with this, in my opinion. Well, okay, so if there were actual policy proposals here, or there were potential policy based on these ideas or these ideas that we think are here, what would those policy proposals look like? So you mean more broadly or specifically about this last one? Uh, More broadly. What's going on here? That's a good question. So the think tank that that helped Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez write this policy has released some additional information on like their thoughts on what it should be. However, that's not in what Congress is signing. So it's not, you know, strictly relevant. It's kind of ancillary to that. They've provided some policy concepts based on this non-binding resolution text. So it includes things like workforce development for farm owners or farmers, training on sustainable soil practices, update the farm bill to include requirements for sustainable farming and soil health practices. We get back to that sustainable farming term, which I do not really like. Uh, We talk about expanding voluntary water and soil conservation projects and nutrient reduction programs. I don't know anything about voluntary water and soil conservation projects currently run by the federal government, any wing of it that is related to agriculture. I mean, if you have a program that's voluntary, (laughs) is it run by the government, really? I mean, I don't know anything about this. It says expand. So perhaps there is something currently in existence. I don't know anything about this. I couldn't find anything about this. Catherine couldn't find anything about this. If you know anything about this, please send it to us. I would love to know more. Hey, listener, really quick. This is post-Hallie, after-episode Hallie. Just so you know, I actually did know about this. I just forgot that I knew about this. It's called CRP Land. If you want to know more about it, you can check out a really cool blog post that we put up on our website. Thanks. We also have Create Public Trust Funds for Sustainable Agriculture Efforts. I think that is a policy proposal. I don't like the term sustainable agriculture, so that would need to be kind of narrowed down, but some kind of public trust fund where farmers or growers would be able to apply to have money to change their management practices, because oftentimes you need to add more infrastructure or equipment in order to switch your management practices. So having some kind of financial buffer from the federal government, that could be a great policy provide financial and technical assistance for the installation of buffer zones, terraces, irrigation efficiency, and natural stormwater infrastructure. I'm all about that. Listen, listen, I'm all about that. That is, that's a policy concept that is very specific, and I am all about. Um, They also say restore pollinator habitats, which, not terribly clear, nice idea, but kind of digging into a little bit more about what that would actually look like, whether you're going to have the federal government purchase land and then try to create more contiguous habitat, or if you're going to pay farmers to to transfer some of their land out of production to be pollinator habitat, or, you know, there's a, a hundred different ways you could do this. Not terribly clear. I think the intent is nice, at least from what I've heard about bee things. Bee yeah, thing. no, that that was great. They need our help. Yeah. Bees are, bees are not doing so great. They're not. True. Right. 
And and some of that is from habitat destruction. Not all of it, but some of it. So the I think the idea is great. It's I, I wouldn't call it a policy idea, but I think it is a good idea. Um, expand sustainable farming certification and verification programs. This one I have some issues with because it uses that word expand, sustainable farming certification programs. The federal government does not offer sustainable farming certifications to the best of my knowledge, primarily, as I understand it, because sustainable farming is not certifiable. (laughs) It's not, you know, a thing that you can point to and say, this is sustainable farming. So have a bit of an issue on that one. And then the last one that they suggest is create tax and other incentives for soil carbon sequestration and soil health practices, which I am all about. I'm all about it. You know how I feel about soil, Dad. You know how I feel about it. And this is a great idea. Listener, if you don't know how she feels about soil, check out episode number two, Soils. And Listen. you will learn so much. I feel so strongly about this. Actually, this last weekend, I was in a meeting that was all about soil, and I was all about it. I was loving it. This policy concept, this policy idea, create tax incentives for soil carbon sequestration and soil health practices, is a good idea. I think this is a good idea. If anyone is a lobbyist and wants some scientific thoughts or any just if anyone needs me to show up to yell about how soil tax incentives is a good idea, I am there. I think this is great. I think it's a good idea. There is so much environmental need <laughs> to build our soil up for so many different reasons, for so many different reasons, including climate change. I think this is a great idea. I think this part, this part, this part particularly is a great idea. Which part? I think this this this, this part? last part, this very last part, I think that's great. I cannot remember the last time I ever heard anyone say they loved being in a meeting. <laughs> Listen, it was two days long, okay? It was two Whoa. days long. It was all about soil. I was all about it. All right. So we touched on a couple of different things. It's like sustainable agriculture and agricultural sustainability. Yes. So sustainable agriculture, meaning, you know, this this is a system that is sustainable. So sustainable farming, sustainable agriculture it would be describing one system and you being able to look at a system and say unequivocally that it's sustainable. I do not agree that you can certify that broad scale the way that you can for things like organic. Agricultural sustainability is more looking at research and technological advance for the whole industry, for the whole agricultural sector that can move us towards long-term sustainability, including like alleviating climate change and reducing greenhouse gas emissions, stuff like that. That is different than sustainable farming. It's sort of the difference between going and setting up the family farm and saying, look, I'm a sustainable farmer, which is not a thing we're saying, <laughs> uh, versus just gradually getting better at doing stuff. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah, I and think it, so. it's like you're talking about sus- not certifying sustainability. And I I think I kind of agree with that because it seems like whenever you have a certification, um, people sort of figure out, okay, we have this, this definition mm-hmm. um, of what it means. And so now we need to know now we know what we need to do to call ourselves that. 
And this is just the the least little bit that we need to do. And then we're done and we're good. Yeah. And that's why a lot of folks in the ag industry have an issue with people equating organic and sustainable because organic, there are standards, right? There is a certification you have to go through. And so if you look at a farm and say, ah, yes, this organic farm is sustainable, those things are not necessarily equal because of exactly what you're saying. Like you can have large scale monoculture farms that are quote unquote organic, like they meet those organic standards, but they might not actually be sustainable. They might have a lot of environmental detriments to it. Um, And I also think that when you look at sustainability, it's very hard because it's kind of just such a nebulous word to have something to have have some kind of standard that can apply across ecoregions, like throughout the entire country, because those practices that you're going to need to apply are not always going to be the same. Right? Oh, you're I didn't not even always going to need the same. What? I didn't even think about that. There's not like one one practice fits all. Yeah. And that's why I really like there's this one point here in that like what would that actual policy concepts look like that we got out of the think tank that says provide financial and technical assistance for the installation of barrier and buffer zones, terraces, irrigation efficiency, and natural stormwater infrastructure. So this provides a lot of different solutions that work towards sustainability, but are not going to be relevant across the board. Like, for example, you won't want terraces in Kansas because, you know, there's no hills in Kansas, so you wouldn't really want terraces. But things like irrigation efficiency might be much more useful in building a farm that is working towards that goal, that long-term industry-level goal of sustainability. Okay, but just just to reiterate, we love Kansas. We love bees. We love bees. That's true. Well, I was... Wait, was that a bee? I was stung by something once. I don't think it was a bee. It might have been a you wasp. You probably deserved it. Look. I, I was mowing the grass. W- All look, right? Look, the bees don't want you to mow the grass. Climate change, honestly... You shouldn't mow the, you shouldn't have a lawn if you're you know really working to sequester carbon. You well, that's true. Something other than root system. Something other than Saint Augustine, that's for sure. Listen, we need the bees, and the bees need us. So we love the bees. I am here for bees. I hardcore stand bees long term. Long term. You, you hardcore bees what bees? Dad. <laughs> stand? You stand bees? <laughs> that's the end of the episode, right there. <laughs> No, seriously, what are you saying? (laughs) Thanks for listening to this episode of One to Grow On. If you'd like to support the show, please rate and review us on iTunes or consider donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash one to grow on pod. If you'd like to connect with us, find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at one to grow on pod. The show is hosted by me, Hallie Casey, and Chris Casey. It's produced by Catherine Arjay and Hallie Casey. Our music is Something Elated by Broke for Free, and our show art is by Mariah Coley. Be sure to check out the next episode in two weeks. But until then, keep on growing. Bye, everybody.